0: We call it tweeting? Why don't we call it booking on Facebook? And this was like a whole debate I had with people, and people thought I was crazy. I was like, but doesn't it make sense if we could? Because I don't know what the young hip kids... I'm 85. Oh. So I...
1: <laughs> no, I don't know what they're doing either. You're supposed to be my... You're I should to be I... the link.
0: And I should not be the link. You're letting me down. I should never be the link <laughs> to anything. Like, my favorite actress is Angela Lansbury. <laughs> I do love a good murder she wrote,
1: though. You bet. Anyway, Natalia's mom, if you're listening, sorry we got off topic again.
0: (laughs) I think that should just become a thing. Shout out to my mom. Welcome back, guys and gals and everything in between, because it's 2018 and we're inclusive here at More Than Pretty Face. Brittany is putting rays in the roof. Raising the roof. Um, it's Natalia, your host, um, and I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Uh, just a couple housekeeping things. Our first episode and our trailer are up on iTunes and Stitcher. So for you Android people out there, I'm looking at Brittany because she's one of them. Android um, represent. <laughs> we are on Stitcher. Hopefully soon we'll be on Spotify, but I don't know yet. So, um, But we're on those two platforms, so please rate, review, and subscribe, and then repeat and tell your friends and your enemies and your frenemies and everybody in between. Um, so we're super excited about that. It's been out for about a week now. Um, and follow us on all the social media things, which you'll hear about at the end of the show. So, once again, I am Natalia, and today we are going to be talking about kind of having your own voice in the workspace, um, working in an NGO, and joining us is the wonderful, the lovely, the ever-charming, the Val, the Jean Valjean enthusiast, a la Les Mis, <laughs> Brittany Persinger. Um, woo!
1: Thank you, Natalia.
0: I, I, that was
1: the nicest introduction I've gotten. You're welcome. I do. Jean, I,
0: <laughs> Jean Valjean included. That's a first for me. how so I'm going to request like every time we're at work now. Um, by the way, Brittany and I also work at the same organization. But every time you ever have a speaking role, I'm going to slip in. Just a Lay Miz character. Yeah, a Lay Miz. I'll like whenever we have like those gatherings on Wednesdays, I'll just be like, Is it the five year? Is she getting her five year award today? You know what I think she should also get? Is this lovely introduction (laughs) talking about Jean Valjean? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, uh, just speak in lay news quotes that, that's uh, always always <laughs> thanks for having me on your podcast I'm excited about this
0: yes we're so excited to have you I love talking to ladies also awesome ladies as yourself would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you I would love to
1: so my name is Brittany this um is true. I work for yes as has already been said <laughs> and I'm a Jean Valjean enthusiast so um I work for a child-focused NGO in the city, and I've been there for almost a year and a half. Um, And I am a knowledge management advisor, which knowledge management, for your listeners that don't know, is a fancy word for making sure that the right knowledge and information gets to the right people at the right time. So it's putting systems in place and processes in place to make sure someone in the field that needs really important information that we have at the global level has access to that information and then vice versa when our senior leaders or when our board is making decisions or going and meeting with people they also need to know what's going on at the field level and so knowledge management is that plumbing that helps that information and knowledge flow across an organization so that's what i do (laughs) um and for me i think I've always wanted to be in this. It's when you're seven, you don't go. I'm going to be in international development, but like all of us as kids, have this desire to make the world better somehow, Mm -hmm. Um, even if you can't describe it to people. When you you can't describe it to adults, I think all of us just innately have this that's wrong, I want to fix it kind of attitude. <laughs> you would think all of us have that attitude. I mean, that's... I would like to. I mean, I and again, I can only speak for myself as a mm-hmm. kid, but that's definitely something that even from a young age, I realized that I wanted to be involved in. And then as you get older and you go to school and you're like, what am I going to be and what am I going to do? And you meet people in your life that either give you really good advice or kind of tell you to manage your expectations. And you have to make those choices about which... Part of that you're going to listen to, and so it's been a journey. I'm in my mid-thirties. Congratulations
0: to me. She's pretty um, fabulous. Yeah, you know, 30, a thirty, a thirty-something. One foot in the grave, one I'm foot blushing, out. You know? I'm blushing.
1: Um, so it's it's been quite a journey of you know figuring out. I guess I guess some people have a direct. I'm going to do this, and that's how it's going to be. And but it's been a journey of how do I want to make the world a better place? And what does that look like? And what are the strengths that I can, what do I bring to the table? And how can I maximize that? And just, you know, when I go to bed at night, I sleep
0: well. Um, okay. So we work at World Vision International, which super cool organization. Encourage everybody to check it out. Because um, we, we do plugs anyway. Yeah. So I'm plugging World Vision International. Super awesome organization. We both work there. Woo woo. So... 'Cause I feel like it is really integral to like who you are and like how like how you came to be working at that organization. Now, I true. came to be working at that organization, so I was like, we may as well plug it. Um because we still need sponsors. Anyway. <laughs> it's true. <that laughs> no, it, we is. We did. Teach no, it did. is sponsors. Um, so can you tell me about like the little bit of the journey of how you ended up at World Vision? Sure. For me. So I guess I would start.
1: I went to grad school in England had a really great time and came back to the states in 2010 when the economy had tanked and I had just gotten my master's degree in peacekeeping um, from a really great university the university of Bradford and I was so excited also
0: plugging the university of also plugging the university of Bradford, university so, of Bradford.
1: You if you want a legit peacekeeping peace building program that's its own Degree program, which I still think it is. It's its own degree program and it's not like a certificate of something else. Highly recommend. Also, Bradford has the best curry in the UK. Don't let anybody (laughs) else tell you anything different. Um, The real reason you went. The real reason. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, Came back to DC with my master's degree, convinced I was going to take over the world because now I had a master's degree. They always tell you, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's so competitive here. Having a master's, you know, having just a bachelor's wasn't enough. And so having a master's, is like, puts you that much more ahead of people. Had this master's, came back to GCO, was going to conquer the world. The economy had tanked, especially in the international development sphere. Yeah. So not a lot of people were hiring. And so I did temp work for a year and a half. And a lot of people during that time were like, why don't you just work at the place that you're working at? I was was at a um, property management firm Mm -hmm. for a while. And they just kind of, I became like their temp extraordinaire. I just bounced around in departments, um, which was fun. I learned a lot of different things (laughs) about an industry. Yeah, a lot of of skills that I just never thought I would ever encounter. So like architecture software and a lot of different building things that I just, you don't think about. Um, So I appreciated that experience, but a lot of people were just like, why don't you just you Know, take a full time job there. Why don't you just do admin? Why don't you just do all this stuff? And it was like that because that's not what I want to do, first of all. And secondly, that's not what I just spent a bunch of money going overseas to like get a degree in. So, no, <laughs> I don't want to just settle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think, and that and that kind of drove me more because there were definitely days, and I'm sure that you can, address, oh, yes. you know, you've seen the breakdown. <laughs> oh, yes, but when you're like, why I could just get a job at Starbucks. Not that there is anything wrong with people working at Starbucks. It's a
0: great company. It's a know. really great
1: company. If that's what you want to do, like go do that. Go fly and spread those wings. But that is not, that wasn't my. Not your ministry. My, not, that where where I, <laughs> not where I felt called to do. Um, and that drove me to really just keep at it. Mm-hmm. And so, temp for a year and a half. Um, I was living with my parents, which being 28 at the time and living with your parents. I was a little bit ashamed, and but I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. My parents didn't care. They knew that I was working hard, and they knew that I had just come back from getting my master's. They liked having me around, which was kind of nice, but also <laughs> kind of weird and also kind of motivated me to get out. Um, I love you. You know. It's just, I mean, it's fine. And so got an internship with an organization that worked with um, women peacebuilders. And worked there, you know, so started as an intern, and then they were starting a policy kind of track to their work. So Mm -hmm. they had country-level programming for a long, long time, and then really wanted to branch into the policy sphere, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: focusing on uh, the UN Resolution
0: 1325, which... 1325, yes! Yes. Big fans, big fans, Um, look it up, people. (laughs) Yeah, educate
1: yourself, <laughs> um, which was the first resolution that said not only, you know, yes, women's are women are victims of conflict, um, but they can also do stuff in their communities. They're not just victims of conflict. They should be able to be agents of change in their communities okay. and encouraging member states to involve them as such. And we saw an opportunity uh, to maximize, you know, the national action plans that came about to implement that resolution. Mm -hmm. So I was brought on full time at this organization and worked there for four years. Um, And it was great. And it was using the skills that I had gone to school for. It was doing what I was passionate about. It was working with really great people. And for four years of my life, that's what I did. And then um, unfortunately, there were budget cuts that needed to happen and staff cuts followed. And so after 4 years of being at this place that I was pretty convinced I was supposed to be at, you know. Yeah. When you're when you're in your late 20s, early 30s and you're like I have found my tribe and I've found my place. The and then things suddenly crumble for one reason or another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was really difficult and that was just taken away from me and I was unemployed for 6 months, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of time, but That's a
0: lot. Listen. Yeah. A week is a month <laughs> I just went through this it's been a, it was a long time
1: six months and like I had a pension and I had um I guess as part of being let go they set us up with a career counselor which mm-hmm. was fine um and everyone they gave me they gave us like a two month warning so it wasn't just like Mm. hey you have two weeks oh that's. they gave us two months yeah Yeah. so i had some time to mentally prepare myself and emotionally prepare myself but you just kind of throw yourself into okay so this is the next hurdle let's just go
0: yeah
1: um i'll find something it's going to be okay that was also around the time when the 2016 election was really ramping up Mm -hmm. and a lot of organizations were like so really depending on who wins this election we could not get funding anymore. Mm -hmm. We're not really sure what's going to happen. So it was just an uncertain environment all around. And so to be unemployed in that environment, in that space, also as a very type A achiever personality, I went from being in a place where I thought I was supposed to be to being unemployed and having to create my own structure every day. Mm -hmm. And so, and I know that a lot of people listening, um, legitimately struggle with depression. And so I don't want to make light of that at all, Mm -hmm. but I definitely felt like I had just been thrust into this oblivion of what I'm guessing would feel like depression because I Mm -hmm. did not feel like I had a purpose. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I had a motivation anymore. Um, and then the more that I found out about why the cuts had been made the way that they had and things Mm -hmm. like that, And now that I'm able to reflect on it more clearly, you can see that it was actually the best thing that could have happened because it was just a really kind of toxic situation. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, you're like, this was my thing and it was taken away from me and now I'm unemployed and I'm not contributing to society and what am I doing with my life? And it was just this spiral of emotions. And like
0: bills, I feel.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I mean, like, praise the Lord for pensions because I did get unemployed, like I did have. A buffer, Mm -hmm. and then I did receive unemployment, Mm -hmm. which I almost didn't apply for. And my boyfriend was like, "This is a benefit that your employer has paid into that you deserve. You need to apply for it." So that also helped. And I mean, you also just have to rely on people. I had to ask my parents for help sometimes, which at that age, you know, my early thirties, like relying on your parents or like, Mm -hmm. or even letting them know how you feel. They would ask, like, even if I didn't need groceries, even if I was fine, they would be asking how I'd be feeling. And I'm like, Oh, I'm totally fine. I did this. And I applied to this many jobs today. When on the inside, I was dying because I felt like I wasn't achieving anything. And anyway, it's just, so that was a really pivotal moment in my life where you kind of realize, and sometimes you have to go to that place. I think oh, yeah. in the Bible it talks about, you know, we talk about going to that kind of desert place, and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm sure in different spaces people have, you know, different analogies, but that's what it was. Yeah, you have to be brought really low to really realize things about yourself that you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I realized how much I had tied my value as a person
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the work that I did, which mm-hmm. I think a lot
0: of us in this field do. Yeah, because like we're working in this. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But like, oh, we're... you're fine we're working in like this development field and I feel like we're constantly told like you're doing it for the cause and like for the love and like and I and I feel like that's not necessarily a bad narrative but it's a really hard narrative when things change and because it's like oh well I really want this job I really want this position I really want this internship but it's not paid but it's like I have bills that I need to pay for and not all of us come from places where we can like rely on our parents exactly so like not saying you rely is is bad but like not all of us have that ability and like I know for me being here like I I love my parents but I and they love me but I know they can't support me financially here so it's like if ever like doing something not paid is like a huge turnoff, even though it's like you want like what am what am I gonna do though because that's what I have to do to get where I want to go right but what if that doesn't pan out? And there's all these, like, what ifs, and then you end up sitting there being like, Emma, is this really the path for me? Because when you're talking about the, you know, temping, and, like, working in a field that you didn't want to work in, that's kind of, like, an I don't know, I feel like that's kind of an added, like, an an older school attitude, because I feel like that's also been, like, my dad's attitude. It's, like, well, they're paying you, (laughs) like, or kind of, like, but I'm, like, but it's not what I want to do, like, that's not why I spent all this money on undergrad, and now I'm getting my master's, like, I feel like it would be a waste, and so how do you combat that emotion of, like, well, it is a job, but, like, but also feeling like you're not fully living out your purpose, yeah, quote-unquote, yeah, I had to balance it, I really had to
1: balance between this kind of older school way of thinking, which was you may have had interests and you may have had things that you wanted to do in school, but your life kind of dictated what you studied. Yeah. Like my dad went to school convinced he was going to be an oceanographer, like the next Jacques Cousteau and all this stuff. That is out there. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Well, and then it was, you know, he found out he was good at business. My parents found out they were pregnant with me and they were very young. And my dad was like, cool, I'm going down this business route. Like life just kind of worked Mm -hmm. out that way and it's great and he's good at it and this is his career now but as far as having choices like i think whether it's a generational thing Mm -hmm. or or um differences like that having a choice and being able to follow those passions but you're right and i could rant about the indentured slavery that is unpaid unpaid internships (laughs) on a different podcast Uh, Um, yes we will 100 (laughs) percent um and I and I do recognize how lucky I was, even despite being unemployed for a while, how lucky I was that I had been given two months' notice, mm-hmm. that I had been given um, the pension that I was, that I was able to get unemployment. And, and so I recognized that those things, I was able to keep my apartment, I was able to, I had to cut back, obviously, on things, but I was able to still exist as a human mm-hmm. while I was unemployed. Um... And yes, not a lot of people, and I fully recognize that, which also also added to the spiral of feeling bad for myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was if I'm feeling this way, I can't imagine having a husband or a partner or a child or multiple children that relied on me providing for them mm-hmm. right now. It was just me, and I was feeling this way. What if there were other people in my life that relied? Like, I, it was just... And you were were lots of emotions.
0: Yes, you were six months, and you had all of those emotions. And there's people out there who are like unemployed for like years or like a year. Yeah, and I think and I'm, I, it's it's rough for me when I'm not working, and I don't know how to like combat that. And so, but I'm I think what makes up for it in the sense is that like I'm still getting my master's right now, so I. I feel like I only feel half as much as if I was fully not doing something. Yeah. So, and I, and I like that you talk about it because I feel like a lot of people, especially women don't talk about this side of like, or if we talk about it in like closed hushed tones and just only with like three friends that kind of know what's going on. And also the fact that you talk about like, your parents, so like how much, if you feel comfortable taught how much did you keep from them, did you keep like a lot, or a little bit, or...
1: I think in the beginning, I kept a lot,
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: but then as, because throughout the course of being unemployed, I learned, like I was saying earlier, I learned a lot about myself, and so I learned, you don't really think that you're, I don't, don't, maybe people do, I don't think people necessarily walk around in the world going, I'm a very prideful person, I am so prideful right now, (laughs) I love, you know, but that is exactly exactly what was at the root of my Uh issue was that I did not realize how much pride I took in my work and therefore myself. Uh And when that was taken away from me, and it's different for different people, right? Like people have different pain points and mine apparently was my work. And when that was taken away from me, I was encountered with the fact that I was super prideful about that's what I had prided myself on was I do really good work. And maybe it was to compensate for being in an environment where everyone was getting married and everyone's having children. And so I was like, you know what, my career is my thing and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it really well. And then that was kind of taken away from me. And in that moment I was like, what am I, Mm
0: -hmm. what am
1: I channeling that into? And I, so I was like faced and, and so you want to like make it go outward and be like those people did this to me. But then as this period in my life went on, so as the months went on, I realized this is an attitude for me. Like, Mm -hmm. this is my attitude that needs to change. I can't control what happened. It has happened to me already and everyone's moving on. So how am I going to deal? Like, what is this going to do with me? And am I going to be open to that or not? And so as I became more open to that and embracing like, yes, I am a prideful person. I need to let that go. Um, and realizing that I had tied my value as a person to the work that I did, uh, uh. which is also, I think, something that women do a lot, but they usually do it with either children or their family, or they do uh-huh. it with something. I think women do that a lot. For me, I had tied it to my job, and uh-huh. I didn't have it anymore. And so what was the purpose of me
0: doing anything any anymore? Yeah. Exactly.
1: So as I like went through that growth process throughout those six months, I involved my parents more and more. And so I would tell them how I felt. It's also just... One of those things where I think there are some people who are very sharing of emotions yeah. and some people who aren't. And I'm just one of those people who wasn't. So this combination of being type A, not sharing emotions, realizing all this really hard stuff that's hard to talk about with people who aren't going through the same thing that you are. And then it's your parents, right? You always oh, yeah. want to be like, I'm fine without you. I'm fine without you. I'm fine I'm without living, you. I'm mom. I ate dinner and everything. Exactly. Yeah. But to be honest with my parents and say, you know what, today... I applied for three things I didn't hear back or I got rejected from this thing and here's how I feel about it. Uh Like being in the habit of saying, and I feel blank about it was a huge deal for me, which Uh isn't, you know, the same for other people, but it was a huge exercise for me that now looking back on it, like has made it better because now being able to, I have a language to communicate that to people with. I didn't really have those words before to Mm -hmm. say, you know what, I'm struggling with this and it's hard and I don't have the words for it, but here's how I feel. And now, now I can. And now it's one of those things where people who are struggling with that kind of thing, whether it's being unemployed or whether it's that have come to me and said, I heard that you had a hard time looking for work. Or I heard that you also like, I'm thinking of switching jobs. What are your recommendations? Or like, I heard that you had that. And so I'm able to relate to people on a much different level than I would have had I not had that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone, no matter what it is, no matter what you go through, going through something, what is the, somebody at my church, like it's going through something and then you can do something, being able to you, you got to go through it for you to do it kind of thing. It's like,
0: I'm trying to,
1: it's like this lovely lovely, yeah, like a lovely lovely, Methodist man at my <laughs> church that says this thing all the time, and I just, I'm not doing it justice, but that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, really being able to reach certain people that you wouldn't after you go through a certain mm-hmm. experience. So that's a really long explanation of how I got to where I am, but I really feel like it, that has really shaped And so there's a lot of things that shapes our identity as women, especially, whether it's places that we go or people who are in our lives, whether permanently or temporarily, like there's a lot of things that shape our identity. But for me, just because it's still kind of fresh Mm -hmm. is that period of being unemployed and Mm -hmm. having to go to that space because it also made me question my professional life, not just my personal life, but my professional life. Like Mm -hmm. I had this opportunity, I was gifted this opportunity Mm -hmm. of All you have is time to think about not just apply for jobs and do for things but like why do you do what you do and that was an exercise that I did with the career counselor and it's a legit exercise called the five whys (laughs) and you basically you've heard me talk about this before you basically ask yourself why multiple times so why do you do the thing that you do because I want to help people well why do you want to help people Uh because I feel like it's the right thing to do well why is it the right thing to do and like Getting to the root of what really drives you Mm -hmm. to wake up in the morning and go to a job that is this versus something that's paid more or Mm -hmm. that is, you know, easier to get to or whatever it is. Um, And that also was big for me because, again, in this field, I don't think we do that. Mm -hmm. I don't think people in the international development or this kind of mission-driven field take the time to sit down and go, okay, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing. Why do I feel passionate about this? We do the thing because the thing is important mm-hmm. and no one else will do the thing if we don't do it. That's mm-hmm. why we do it. But there's got to be a deeper reason and there usually yeah. is. Oh, and it's just is. taking that time to to figure that out for yourself. And I was given that time and it was a huge gift and I would not have, I think it either would have taken me much longer yeah. or I never would have gotten there had I not been kind of forced... To do this exercise, and I can't even describe to you sitting in this this poor career counselor was just (laughs) she was working so hard, and I was just like, I'm not doing this dumb game, like why? But then really sitting it down and taking it seriously, it was so insightful, and I can't recommend it enough. Like to just, why do you do? Why am I doing
0: the thing that I'm doing? And I feel like I feel like you're right. Like that's not something that we do in this field, like ever. Like, I feel like we do it because we're like, no, I'm, like, really passionate about this and I'm passionate about this, but, like, we never, like, sit and fully understand why because this type of work, like, the nonprofit sector in general, yeah, we are high turnover, we are underpaid, overstressed, we don't understand the term self-care, like, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, like, to go into that every single day for, like, 365 days a year, like, for the rest of your life, like, it's a big choice and I feel like asking those questions and those questions can also maybe help you determine like your self-worth in a sense because I think I don't know at least for me I feel like we always go to this place where it's like oh it's the right thing to do so it doesn't matter how I get there or how I'm treated there or what are these other ramifications that go along with it but I feel like when we have that kind of clear vision of like this is what I want to do, we see the bad stuff that can happen and mm-hmm. we see the good stuff that we can happen and we understand more clearly what um, what's the word liberties that we want to take when searching for a job and how clear we want to be. And I think once we hit like that stumbling block, we can kind of, okay, why did I stumble? Why is this uncomfortable? Is it something that like I'm like this is a no-go? Or is it something that I just haven't worked to
1: yet? Yeah. And I also think, I mean, based on the subject of this podcast, I think it's incredibly useful. It's useful for men and women. But I think it is incredibly useful and powerful for women to do that specifically. Mm -hmm. Especially younger women figuring out what they want to do in their lives, how far they want to go in their careers, how you're going to climb that ladder, how you're going to do that. Figuring that out helps you be able to articulate Exactly what, what what do you want?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's a contentious topic and not to start a huge debate <laughs> among your listeners, but like at the end of the day, there are things that we have to think about that men don't. Mm-hmm. That does not mean we don't get those opportunities and that mm-hmm. does not mean that we should be treated that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to decide certain things that a dude doesn't necessarily have to decide right now. Mm-hmm. And so asking yourself these questions helps prepare you for those moments. Because we all know, you know, people like to quote the research that women don't ask, but there's also research that debunks that research. Mm -hmm. Women do ask. It's that they're not listened to as often. So So asking yourself these questions, whether it's the five whys or whether it's, however you get to the root of why you do what you do, it helps you articulate things much clearer and you're able to do that in a way that people are clear on, yes, you know, Natalia wants to advance in her career this way. Natalia is passionate about these things. It sets you apart from other Mm -hmm. people. It gives you that much of an edge. And so that would be, again, I'm not an expert, but based on my (laughs) own personal experience, it gives you that much more of an edge over peers that may necessarily have not thought about those types of things.
0: Very, very true. So now you're at World Vision, and that kind of like fell into your lap, right? Like by happenstance. It it did. Um, it's one
1: of those things where whenever you're looking for work, everyone tells you, you know, it's who, you know, it's not what, you know, you need to network and you need to do this. And that is important for those of you listening. Networking is important. Don't stop doing that. But (laughs) there's also, um, I like my experience is testament to the fact that there is an element of right place, right time. Mm -hmm. I, I had a giant spreadsheet of all of my jobs that I'd applied for with the title who I knew there, the date that I applied, the deadline for the job position, um, if I had reached out, when I should follow up, all this this information. And I found the World Vision job by happenstance on another job board. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't qualified for the position that I saw, but I was like, well, let's have a gander at the other things Mm -hmm. that World Vision is offering. I didn't really know a lot about World Vision except for that they were a child sponsorship organization growing up in the church. That was all, you know, it was like, Oh, you want to sponsor a kid? Like world vision. Okay, cool. I didn't know that they Mm -hmm. were the largest international development organization in the world basically. Mm -hmm. So I went to their main job site, found this job, applied for this job on a Friday. Mm -hmm. The next Monday, the recruiter gives me a call and then boom, boom, boom. Things lined up and I had the job by the end of the month. That was, last february that was february 2017 and i started with world vision in march 2017 i knew nobody there completely blind um, submission online it kind of broke all of the rules that i had for myself <laughs> yeah. as far as i need to know somebody who can connect me and do all this stuff and like i said networking is important don't stop doing that but there is a certain amount of what's meant to happen is going to happen hmm And whether people, I know that there's, you know, whether you believe in that or not, there is some kind of something where you can worry about stuff, but Mm -hmm. what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I could not have predicted at the beginning of this process that this is where I was going to end up. It was definitely the most technical job I applied for. Mm -hmm. Um, I had never worked at a faith-based organization
0: before, and this turned out to be the one that just made the most sense. I'm so glad that, you know, like it worked out and... And I feel like your words are kind of very encouraging for people that are still going through that process. Like maybe they're not unemployed, but like maybe like me, like they're in grad school and they're like working these like part time jobs that are kind of tangential to their field. Or like they're getting like, you know, part time work in this organization or like this internship that will maybe go to semesters and you're hoping and praying so you don't have to apply anymore. Because applying is like the worst thing. It's
1: the worst. I hate writing cover letters.
0: It's just not. It's soul destroying. I get it. It hurts my spirit. So, But yeah, and then that's and then I showed up like almost 11 months later in January Mm -hmm. and said, hi Brittany. You're my supervisor and you're like, hello. I've never done this before. (laughs) But we're going to make it work. And it was delightful and Now here we, you know, are. Here we are. Talking, chatting here about your life and how fabulous it is now. Yeah, no,
1: if there's anybody listening who's struggling with anything similar, like I can't emphasize enough. There is light at the end of the tunnel and I know that you probably have a lot of people giving you a lot of advice about a lot of things that you just don't have the time or the brain space. Or you just can't even. I hear that that's a phrase the kids say. <laughs> is, that what, is that what the kids say? That's what the kids say. You the just, kids I just saying. can't even. And But on a serious level, I get it because I've been there and I've gone through it. And I would just really encourage you to keep reaching out to people around you. Let yourself feel frustrated because I think that's also a thing that we don't do. Mm-hmm. Especially in D.C. or big cities, it's just so competitive. Mm-hmm. So if you let that facade crack, other people pounce on it. Mm-hmm. those people are not your friends <laughs> don't don't even be friends and don't even it. play um and but yeah I would really encourage you to reach out to people around you network as much as you can go to things outside of the class like that's what you and I talked about mm-hmm. um a lot during your internship was if you have time and I know that classes and I know that working is a thing but if you have time to do things whether it's go to symposiums or volunteer someplace, mm-hmm. or if you're able to, because social media is a thing, follow the same things that your boss does. What mm-hmm. are other people reading? What are other people doing? Um, volunteer to do things. The more that you can put yourself in front of people, the more that, A, you can you know kind of find some purpose in this thing that you're like, am I doing this? Yeah. It's not paid. What is happening? and the more that you can maximize those opportunities, but also just take advantage of the time to grow your brain and to grow the knowledge that you have. Whether it's in the organization that you're at, or if you go to these symposiums, you go to these talks and you meet other people, expanding that network, just take advantage of those things and just, there are other people around you who are dealing with the same stuff and they just may not have a voice and not know how to talk about it. So you're not alone. Um, You can, yeah this isn't this is a talk show. I know we don't have a number that you can call to like
0: <laughs> call the hotline. Out, um, <laughs> but
1: this will definitely like I know Natalia's like personality and like her passions about this podcast. This will definitely be a space that you'll be able to learn a lot of things from a lot of different types of people about this type of stuff. So definitely That's stay true. tuned. It's and hard out there for a lady. It
0: is. So we gotta well, let's stick question. together. <laughs> so a question that we we do have to too. it is so true. Um, a question that we really want to ask all our guests what because because here we don't want to like define like what a woman is because we are complex creatures and we come from all different backgrounds and you know we do put our legs our pants on one leg at a time but that doesn't mean that we're the same so what do you think defines a woman or womanhood i sprung this on her (laughs) because i want everybody's answer to be authentic
1: i think And you framed it really nicely, so I don't have to say, you know, words like complicated or complex or, Mm -hmm. you know, contextually relevant. (laughs) Um, I think for me, in my experience, in the experiences that I had, which will be different for different people. Mm. In my experience, what it means to be a woman or in womanhood was. It was standing, standing up for myself. And what I mean by that is kind of, you have to create your own identity apart from your parents. I don't know if boys or men do the same thing where they have to, where as they grow up, they're like, no, I need to have my own individual. I need to define myself as different from my parents somehow. Mm -hmm. I think that as girls and women because you live in your father's house or Mm -hmm. especially those of us who were raised in the church. It was, you go from your father's house and then you get married and then you're in your husband's house. And so it was finding that type of finding your identity, not in other people.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And in my experience, that was, and as the oldest of five. So watching my mom with five kids and she had us all very young by the time she was so I'm 35. When she was 35, she had five kids. And I can't imagine having five children right now. Um, she gave up a lot of things that she wanted to do in her life because I came along mm-hmm. and then four others after me came along. And she had to, like, she lost that part of her identity. Mm-hmm. And now that she and my dad are basically empty nesters again, like, they go traveling. She's been able to rediscover that part of her identity Mm -hmm. that she just kind of had to put on hold because there were kids that she needed to take care of. And she didn't have a good mother figure in her life that could Mm -hmm. say, you are not, you know, only with your children. Like you are a separate individual. And so Mm -hmm. for me watching my mom struggle with that was something that even as a kid, I was like, I don't want that to be me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so I don't mean to paint a very negative light, but that is what, if I, if I, my first reaction, without being able to prepare, my first reaction um, to what, what is a woman and womanhood is defining, is, is making sure that you have your own identity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that kind of was born out in the experience that I just shared about going through unemployment and realizing that I had tied that identity that I had mm-hmm. to my job. And I think, like I said, women do that with a lot of different things. Sometimes you do that with your children and you don't know it. And then they leave home and you're like, what do I do with my life now? My children are gone. Your children were your life. And then when they move on and have their own families, what does that, how Mm -hmm. do you fill that? And so I think that that for me watching my mom do that and other women in our family kind of go through that, I, I didn't want that to happen. And Mm -hmm. so for me it was, how do I carve out my own identity, even as a kid? Yeah. Um, and even as the oldest of five, like trying to be heard and like, how do I just assert myself and, mm-hmm. you know, without being this, and so that's, I think that's for me, that's the feeling that I describe is just carving out your own identity and defending that from other people who want to say things like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you're so pretty, don't you want to get married one day? Oh my God.
0: But what if,
1: yeah, but you know, what if you, or when I went to, when I did my grad school, the first thing that people said was, oh, you're going to meet your future husband when you
0: travel. Like literally, literally that's what everyone said when I was like, I'm moving to DC. It's like, there's probably a lot of guys down there. I was like, yeah, they make up about 50% of the world. So I'm assuming 50% of them would be down
1: there. But like, if you were a dude, would they have said that to you? No. No. It's just, it's one of those things where making sure that you are comfortable in your identity and yourself as a human woman in the world so that when people come to you and say things like that you know that you've made your choice based on what you feel is best yeah. for your life or what God is calling to you to your life or whoever whatever you believe that you feel like you are living out your calling because you want to and because you feel that it is the right thing to do and not because someone's like but don't you want insert whatever here and that was hard that was also you know kind of these various cycles of carving out your identity throughout mm-hmm. your life, right? As a kid, trying to assert yourself, or when you're in that weird middle school, high school phase when girls get really catty, and I was like, I'm just gonna have more friends that are guys, that's fine. And then those friends that are guys start to like you, and you're like, This is not what I wanted when I signed up for more guy friends. Because <laughs> sometimes
0: honestly, they can be more sassy. Exactly. On so many levels. Exactly. Another podcast. When all those- <laughs> The Sassy Boys Podcast.
1: (laughs) Just keep racking them up. Um, And then, you know, going to college and what is that going to do? And Mm -hmm. other people that want to influence you to do certain things. Some good, some bad. Like, And then as you get older and people start getting married and having kids and that's just not where your heart lies and you love those people, but then, you know, just how do you maintain your identity when everyone's kind of like but don't you want this Mm -hmm. don't you feel like this is great I think that's what bothered me the most was the don't you want Uh, uh, a family don't you want to get married and I was like just because I don't have these things right now doesn't mean I don't want them or or I I have not had the opportunity to have these things yeah I have chosen this and so it's I think that for me that's a really long answer but when I think about womanhood and what that means In my experience, it has been this sometimes frustrating, but a lot of times really beautiful cycle of carving out your identity and what that means to you as an individual and Mm -hmm. then the other people that are on that journey with you. But what does that journey look like? You are a person, independent person. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does that look like? So I think that that for me in my experiences would be how I
0: see that. That was so fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> it's such like a fabulous answer. I'm doing a little dance. No one can see. So we're gonna take a short break, and by short I mean extremely short, and we'll be right back. All right, guys, we are back, and we are starting with. One of our other segments called problematic faves and today we want to talk about a very problematic fave but also I just find also really fascinating and I'm like yes! Um, George Conway. (laughs) So if you guys don't know who he is, he is a very conservative Republican lawyer. Um, He is married to the infamous Kellyanne Conway and Okay, so this, also it's hard because it's like political beliefs are very touchy, but so for me this is, I'm, I have issues with enjoying him because of the place that he's in and other things he's contributed to, but but I like him because I feel like he's totally willing to call out people, like, especially like his wife on his BF BS, which is what we're focusing on. <laughs> so if you don't know, this man subtweets his own wife like no other, and like calling out, like, the BS of, like, what she's doing, like, for the Trump administration or what, or, like, the nonsense that he's doing, and he's not afraid to kind of, like, put how he really feels about it. And something about that, to me, is just so lovely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We should probably specify that the the opinions that we have are ours and ours alone and all all of that jazz because... Politics can be a really heated thing right now, but I know I was, I'm fascinated. Like I just, it's one of those things where, and I'm, but I'm sure that this is not unique, right? I think mm-hmm. it's only, we only hear about it and people are only talking about it because of who's involved, because yeah. Kellyanne's involved. Um, I, I think that this is not, I think there's a lot of other couples that have this type of, maybe not this intensely Slightly passive aggressive dynamic, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that there are a lot of couples that have similar. One is more conservative, well, and I say conservative, not all Republicans support Trump. I think we have to. Oh, yeah, 100 acknowledge that. But I think that there are some couples that have the same dynamic where one of them, in whatever shape or fashion, is pro Trump and is supportive of the president. Maybe doesn't like everything, but is very much supportive of the president. Mm-hmm. And the other person is very much not on the Trump train. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of couples maybe not to this extent but that are dealing <laughs> but that are dealing with yeah. that. And I think um just like there are probably a lot of couples that were split by the election. Mm-hmm. I think that they're I mean and we we only also the American media also just picks up the most dramatic bits, right? Oh yeah. So it's only the, you know, I'm a democrat and my husband is a republican and so we can't be together like those really dramatic things. Um, But I'm sure that there are, like, everyday people
0: that have a lot of things like this going on. Because, like, this, I think in normal, quote-unquote normal, because what is normal, but in, like, any other day life, I feel like this would be, it would be fine to come from, like, two conflicting camps about, like, different things. We see, like, you know, it's so interesting now that, like, interpolitical relationships are becoming like, a no-no thing, just, like, how before it was, like, interfaith or interracial. It's, like, in... Which we... I feel like... I don't know. I never thought about, like, interpolitical relationships being, like, a source of contention. I mean... You know?
1: I think after the election... And, again, I think it's just... I almost feel bad equating them to interfaith and interracial as well, because interpolitical is definitely something. It's intense, and it can be intense, yeah. but it's definitely not on the same. Oh yeah,
0: not at all level.
1: But I think, I think it's also just people don't talk anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I know that that sounds like bleeding heart liberal thing to say, but like people just don't. People talk don't. Another. There is no space, especially if you watch certain news channels mm-hmm. that rhyme with ox. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of space for calm, informed dialogue, mm-hmm. and I think the key to any marriage, regardless of what faith you have, what background you are, what political party you ascribe to, I think it's it's actually very doable for um, people of different political parties to be in a marriage. A one hundred percent. It's about it's about communication, as it is with any marriage. It's about communication, and you have to be open to have that dialogue. I think it is possible, but mm-hmm. I think it's increasingly, like you said, it's just interpolitical relationships are now a thing. There's all these articles lately. Have you seen these about
0: Trump staffers having a hard time dating in D.C.? Oh, my... Honestly, I read one and I was like, "World's smallest violin for you, tall white <laughs> oh, man exactly. in America."
1: Like, exactly. I, exactly. I but that's,
0: But like, in what other world would that have
1: made the news? Oh, that's so, no. And but so it's so, I, so true. Yeah, I think that it's become. I mean, in the in the media in America, it doesn't really help the situation either. But I think it's just become. That space of having that dialogue is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and it is, it's making and it's, it more and more difficult to have those relationships.
0: And it's hard because I feel like, and here's the thing: I also am not like a super, like, pay attention to celebrities going on. Not that they're like huge yeah. celebrity, but I'm not. I'm not one of those people that's like always in People Magazine or like <laughs> or one of the. Uh, I, I did love Tiger beat when I was like 13. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it wow. back. Bringing it back. Wow, people. I feel so old. <laughs> But like, but I'm, you know, I'm not like, I'm like, oh, what oh, are yeah. they do, you know? So this to me is just so interesting because it's, I feel like you're seeing like the first play of like politics and also like they're still from the same party. Like that's the, I think what's even more interesting. It's like, it's not like, oh, he's a Democrat and she's a Republican or like, you know what I mean? It's, they're still repping the same. And so I think about, and that's why it's like, it's, it's weird. Cause like, what do you, it's. Problematic in the sense, like I don't want to bring this kind of thing to like, because like it is somebody's like, personal like, marriage. But at the same time, they kind of put it on the public stage. Not that they're saying like this is affecting our marriage and we're like gonna break up over this, but what what do you tell him to do like besides this? You know what I mean? Like, well, like, because I feel like a lot of times like with companies or like other people, we're like, oh, if you really don't support it, you know. Uh, who is it? Was it Laura Ingram that they she like lost a bunch of a yeah. uh, bunch sponsors. of sponsors because she like heckled a survivor of a school shooting? Like that's that's what we call on like organizations to do. Like okay, we'll pull your funding, pull this. Like don't support them anymore, don't sell this. But it's like, what are we going to tell the man to do? Divorce his wife? Yeah, like that would it's, be dramatic. Well, and that's I mean again, it's a we
1: <laughs> the best. And let's all remember. <laughs> That before Trump was the nominee, Kellyanne was like not Team Trump, right? Yes, she hasn't been on Always. this boat yeah. from the beginning. So I, I, it's it's very you know loyalties and how that has all worked out is just also very fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And who knows if she even believes in the job that she's doing, but she's doing it well currently. So
0: I wonder. So like my other big issue with this, not big, but it's fascinating, is if. Kellyanne was in her roles for Reversed. That's probably a much easier way to say that. I wonder what, like, the public kind of, I don't know, kind of, like, messaging would be around that. Like, I'm wondering, because, like, you talked about in the scene and interview her, like, being upset that they talked about her husband, which, like, I respect, because you don't necessarily need your personal, like, because her husband becomes, that's her personal life. So it's not that they were questioning like where the point of marriage or whatever but like you may not want to involve that that's like talking about your kids and you don't want to necessarily like, bring your kids into something like that so I wonder if like say it was him doing the same thing if he would even be like get mad about them talking about his wife or if he would not that I know his character if he would like bash or be like oh well you know she can say whatever she want like kind of downplaying what she said like I wonder if and I wonder if the media or whatever would be loving it so much if it was her subtweeting him or, you know, speaking out against what he's saying or, like, would they take it as seriously because she's a woman and because, like, there's this man, like, in this role doing this thing. So we have to believe what he's saying. Kind I, of know.
1: I, th- I mean, on the one hand, I think, and I think her point was also because the question that I think Laura Ingram had asked was, how does your husband feel about? these different things. And she was mm-hmm. kind of like, we're talking about what I'm, that has nothing mm-hmm. to do with what we're talking about right now. Why are we talking about what my husband mm-hmm. feels? Um, and I know that, I mean, I think Hillary, when she was like first lady, got a lot of questions like that. It was like, well, how does your husband feel about blah, blah, blah. And she's like, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about what I want to do for et cetera, et cetera. So I can see how that's frustrating. Oh yeah. Um, There's also a part of me that thinks that because the narrative right now with, like, Trump and Melania is mm-hmm. definitely, like, people kind of go back and forth on whether they feel bad for her. You know, she's, whether we feel bad for her, mm-hmm. whether, you know, we want her to leave Trump or, like, people just kind of go back and forth on, like, you know, the whole blink twice if you're okay, Melania kind of situation. <laughs> like Is that a thing? It is a thing. Oh, my God. Especially in the Lord. beginning. But I think, so people kind of go back and forth on, like, the poor Melania thing. I think if the, if the narrative was flipped with Kellyanne. Mm-hmm maybe it would be the same thing where she is this strong republican woman and her husband is this figure in the Trump administration but she's you know kind of sending these tweets she'd be like a republican feminist icon <laughs> she would like yeah. um be able because she's able to say these things that other people wish they could say just you know and to do it on twitter which is our president's favorite way of communicating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anything and everything so i mean i think it would be which is also more of a comment on the American news media. More <laughs> than it is necessarily on their marriage because no, not, the yeah. fact that this is even like, oh, they're from diff, you know, they're they're from the same party and this is like a huge deal. Like the fact that it's even like talked about in that way yeah. is kind of like, all right, y'all, you need to get like Because a new, if it was Bobby
0: and Jan down the street, would we
1: like <laughs> would would it would really we... Be a thing? and I think it's just because of who she is. It's because of who she is in her position and everyone yeah. wants to make a bigger
0: I mean, I, re- I respect because I, like you're saying, like she would have been, I feel like she was frustrated in the fact of like, why does it matter what my husband thinks? Because I feel like as women, we're always like told to think in terms of what the men around us will think. Oh, yeah. And you know, I, I mean, I, I got know. that
1: before even just traveling. You know, well, how does your husband feel about you traveling? Well, I don't have a husband, I have a boyfriend. Okay, well, great. How does he feel about you traveling all the time? I, I was like, yeah. I make my own decisions. I travel for work, I travel when I go where I want to, I don't ask. Permission. If he's not like, down with just, it, yeah,
0: I, like, I will send him a postcard. Exactly. Like, Babe, I'm no, bombed. like, he's <laughs> jealous
1: that I'm going to South Africa, like, but I, and I feel bad for him, but so what? I'm sorry. Like, this is, this is what I do. So I totally understand where she's coming from. Again, mm-hmm. having only watched the interview and not knowing her personally, this is where I can only assume that she's coming from. It yeah. would be frustrating that if you're talking about you're trying to do your job and be the spokesperson mm-hmm. for the president and – it's very difficult to do that.
0: Uh-uh.
1: Um, that it would be frustrating if somebody was like, "Well, how does your husband feel about these views that you have?"
0: You know, it's and so I get that, but because it's not because I feel like because think, nobody asks men how their wives feel. Or feel exactly, because it, in essence, it could be like a like a real question because that's someone who's like very close to you, and like your your actions can influence their actions but men don't get that question and I think that's where the problem I but I feel like that those roles aren't normally like reversed and I think that's where the issue is because I I feel like if like people were asking that question like oh how does like Kellyanne feel about like your like but as far as I know someone correct me out there if I'm wrong like I have not seen that and that has not been the narrative that I'm hearing so I'm like what why does it matter like can't she have her own opinions, like, just formulated in how she is? And I feel like that is an attack kind of on her personal life because if it was to come up in the conversation, like, oh, well, he's not great. But, oh, it's like, so how is that affecting you at home? Like, you know what I mean? Which I feel like to do that on such a public space and it's somebody who's such a private business. In a way, we all also commenting on, but I think just more in, like, how do you deal with those dueling feelings just in a public space? I'm going to say at home because, like, goodness knows what they're doing at home but like yeah in this public space how are they acting and like why do we as women have to put our feelings in the shape of men which is a really good segue into it is a I mean, it is um it's a good segue into our next segment okay I'm gonna give you five minutes and it doesn't necessarily have to be a full five minutes but basically we are going to talk about um questions that we feel like Male coworkers or just males in general ask us constantly, and we're really tired of ask, uh, answering them. And it's like the internet exists. Find Google, Bing, Ask Jeeves is still active. People, Yahoo Answers, um, just like or just like be a decent Ask hand. Jeeves dude. I'm bringing it, guys. This is the retro podcast. We talk about Tiger Beat. Talk about the oh. Like we talk Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we talk about Ask Jeeves. Um, so, Brittany, is there a question that you feel like you get all the time from males or male co-workers and you're like, please stop asking. I'm going to explain it once and for all and then never again. And then if someone asks you it tomorrow at work, be like, so I'm on this podcast. It's coming out soon. <laughs> educate
1: yourself. So I do, but it's actually not a question, it's a statement. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten it from men at the place I currently work, mm-hmm. but men out
0: In the world. In public, out in
1: the world, just in general. I've gotten it a lot, and it sounds really cliche, especially with all the different conversations um, that come up, like, that are happening now, sometimes as a result of the Me Too movement, sometimes just, because I really think that in the last, like, year or two, we've just gotten much more of a voice, which is great. But then I think you get all of these different stories, and then people are like, whoa. Um, Being told to smile more. Uh, is a real thing uh, it is a re- uh, it is a real <laughs> Nat- Natalia is melting onto the floor having a mild spat <laughs> you can't see this um, it's a real thing and so my response and so just to kind of put it into and it yeah just to kind of put it into context I last month went to a professional certification course mm-hmm. so as part of this week-long course at the end there was this the facilitator, very lovely man. Um, we did this exercise where you had to write down on cards. We each got a bunch of different cards and on the front, like to give out to other, to the fellow participants. And on the front you wrote, I appreciate blank about you, like what you appreciate about whoever you were going to give this card to. And on the back of it, you wrote my wish for you is, and Mm -hmm. then some type of feedback, whether it was constructive feedback or like You know, if somebody was really quiet, like, my wish for you was that you could, you know, find your voice a little bit more or something like that. So going through, you know, we all exchanged them, and it was a fun, like, activity. We all had these little gift bags, and so we're all going around and, like, dropping these little cards. And it was great because we're all, like, in this professional certification thing. And then we had this moment where we're all, like, kids at school on Valentine's Day trying to just, like, give give each other these things. And so when I came home, like, kind of on a high of, like, oh, I just did this certification. I feel really good. Like, um, and I'm going to pass this test and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going through all these cards and, like, reading feedback. Are they anonymous? So some of them were. Okay. Some of them, if people wanted to, they put their names. Okay. And I get to, like, the bottom of my stack of cards. And on one side, it was, like, I really appreciate your leadership style was what the front of it said. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, oh, that's really nice. And I flipped it over. Um, and it just said, so it's, it's the, I, my wish for you side Mm -hmm. of the card. And it just said, smile more. And I like, and I don't know, since there was no name on it. I mean, to be fair, I don't know if it was a woman or a man. Mm -hmm. I'm making an assumption. I will own the fact that I'm making an assumption, but Mm -hmm. I I feel like a pretty well-informed assumption,
0: um, and it's not like you haven't gotten it before. Exactly. Like this is just the
1: most. This is just the most recent example yeah. um, that has kind of put me over the edge. So when you asked, you know, this this mm-hmm. type of question, that's the first thing that comes to mind because it is something that just when you think that you are past it, mm-hmm. it kind of comes up again. So my five minutes <laughs> is to <laughs> encourage people. Yes, this does happen to women, first of all. We're not all making it up. The flippin' time. It has happened to me, so it happened to me in this professional, you know, certification course. It has happened to me while I have been running out in public. Maybe somebody, you know, y'all trying to think you're funny and cute and you're not. Um I
0: never are. How many no, actually how many women do you get hollering from a car? I need somebody to run. <laughs> <sighs> <Feelings>. Another podcast, <laughs> next podcast.
1: Um I've gotten it in all different types of situations, always by men. And I just need your listeners to take a step. And if you're going to tell somebody to smile more, maybe you really do like their smile. Maybe Mm -hmm. they have a really fantastic smile, and maybe you do want to see it more. But you really, please, take an extra second to express that a different way. Because telling somebody to smile more, telling a woman to smile more, We've heard it so many times by people we don't know in situations that we don't need to be told that in. Mm -mm. And you have no idea why, first of all, you have no idea why somebody is not smiling. It could be because they're having a really bad day. It could be because they have really bad news that they've just heard. Or it could be somebody like me who, because I look younger than I am, was told that I needed to act and behave a certain way in order to get respect in the workplace. So I I became very serious and I went from being a little bit more extroverted to being very serious and reserved because I thought that that's what I needed to do to compete. Mm -hmm. And so when I am presenting, even to this day, when I'm presenting or when I'm doing anything, people tell me, they tend to tell me that I'm very serious, but that's where it comes from. It's a reaction to people trying to convince you that who you are is not really good enough and mm-hmm. you need to change. So you have no idea when you tell somebody to smile more and you think that you're doing a really nice favor for them. You never are. You don't, you aren't. There are so many other compliments and so many other ways that you can encourage a woman to be her best self. So just don't do that. And I'm really sorry for those of you, if you are of an older generation, where back in your day, smile more was not taken the way that it was. I you know feel for you, but this is... 2018, and this is where we've come as a society. It is,
0: in 2018, and, ain't it?
1: and I just needed, yeah, that's my five minutes. I just needed to put that out there. And, ladies, there, are, I, I would also encourage you, there are some men out there that just don't know. And yes, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt, but we also need to educate them. I just, and I wrote, and Facebook is not the space I recognize to always vent <laughs> these frustrations, but I definitely wrote a thesis on Facebook. <laughs> Yes. about, A, the concept of being told to smile more and being told to smile more when I was running. <laughs> there is no there's no time and there's no place. So that's my PSA. Just don't tell women to smile more. We smile enough, I think, and if we don't smile, there's a reason. So why don't you ask about that reason instead of telling us to smile Just stay more. off my face.
0: That's, that's my PSA. Stay off my face. And on that note... Thank you, everybody, for listening to More Than a Pretty Face. It's been fun. Hey, we'd like to thank you for listening to More Than a Pretty Face. This show was produced and written by Natalia and Grace. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pretty Lady 3 and you can find us on Facebook at More Than A Pretty Face. If you would like to send any questions, comments, concerns, if you know anybody that would be on the show, or if you'd like to be on the show, or if you would like to sponsor our show, because we're trying to sell out real quick, please email us at Women at MTA pfpodcast.com. All right, you'll hear from us soon.